Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth hello everybody it is great talking to you again this week as you know we've been interviewing affordable interior designs designers so you can get a sneak peek into their brains we're going to take a little break from that this week and we're going to talk to a former client who also has some really great info for us on businesses because you know besides interior design my other passion is being an entrepreneur and she happens to be a very successful entrepreneur and a podcaster and I can't wait for her to tell us more about the joys of product-based businesses. We are joined by Jacqueline Snyder. Hi Jacqueline, welcome. Hey Betsy, I'm so glad to be here. Yay. So first things first, I know you from being a client of ours because I saw your email address or something, or maybe your email signature. And I always love other entrepreneurs. So I think when we were talking, I was like, tell me more about this product-based business stuff. But tell me about working with us, um, how we know each other, things like that. Yeah. So I'm actually a fellow podcaster. Um, I have the podcast, the product boss podcast. And, um, and so I'm always listening to podcasts. That's sort of where I get all of my information. And we've recently moved, we moved to a house in New Jersey and I was thinking, you know, I get all this other info. So I decided to search cause I'm actually a fashion designer by trade, but designing my house is mind blowing to me. Like I'm like, it's too many things. So I decided to search and see if there was a podcast for interior design and I found your podcast. And so I started listening and then eventually I heard that you guys serviced my area, which out of all the places, I'm so lucky that I live close to New York city and, um, hired affordable interior design. So I've actually hired you guys twice at this point. Um, and it's actually amazing seeing the progress because I am still like a hands-on person. So I hired you guys for, uh, you have like a design, design consultations, like an in-home design consultation. And then, so I moved into a house owned by a former interior designer in New Jersey in the seventies. <laughs> That's the last time you designed this place. So there's grass cloth and velvet walls and padded fabric walls, just all sorts of things. So I didn't know what to do with this house. I think he sort of was inspired by Versailles when he last designed it. 
but <laughs> it's also got a lot of character to it that you wouldn't get in a home right now, right? Because he, he did. He spent a lot of money on some of the things he put in. So we wanted to keep some of the integrity of what was in the house, but then also update it to 2019 for people who have two young kids and don't live in New Jersey in the 70s. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of that stuff is really good quality. So it's not going to die unless you kill it. You know? Right. Like the weird brown marble tile that has like, like stripes up to the three gallon toilet where you'll get a contractor and he'll be like, why would you want to take this marble out or whatever it is? And I'm like, because it's brown. Because <laughs> so. it looks weird and dated, but it's a high quality product that was very expensive. You know, tell the, the contractor he can take it to his home. Right. That's the thing. That's the thing in this house. A lot of it's expensive. So it's like, what do we keep? What do we get rid of? And what can we update? So we hired Allison, who's part of your team. And she came and she was like, yes, peel the grass cloth off the walls and paint it this color. <laughs> and I can't even tell you the house is amazing. Like how just even paint, what paint has done to the house. It's, it's, mind-blowing. So it's been so awesome to work with you guys. And then I have, we just had a recent, um, you guys did two, like a two room, uh, shopping design type thing for us for my bedroom and for our living room. And so I'm starting to get the pieces cause we ordered ourselves and I'm starting to get the pieces in. And so I'm excited to share with you guys eventually what we do based on your consultations. Well, I cannot wait to see the after pictures. And so now let's segue from uh, your experience with us to your experience with product-based businesses because a lot of our listeners are either interior design curious or may eventually want to become interior designers. And I will say, and I've said before, that the problem with the interior design business as we run it here at Affordable Interior Design is it's time for dollars. You know, it's a service-based business. And so we give in-person service, which is what I love about our business. I love that we don't do furniture markups. I love that we don't kind of only work virtually and have these preset templates that we just send people. It's really custom. It's thought out by a pro, but that takes a lot of time, not only to train a designer, but also to actually implement the design. And often I have thought and been a little bit um, product envious, like, <laughs> whoa, I just want affordable interior design lotion. I can make 6,000 lotions at a plant and whatever and put them on a shelf and not have to spend so much time into a human commodity, which is really very labor intensive. Humans get sick. Bottles of lotion don't get sick. Like they just keep selling even, you know, when it snows, mm -hmm. when it rains. <laughs> so I'm just looking at the grass being greener in Maplewood. And I want to hear more about the pros and cons of a product-based business and your business. Okay. So I actually own two businesses. One's a, they're both service-based businesses, but I have owned product businesses and I consult and coach people for product. So I, like I said, my experience is I'm a fashion designer by trade and my, I call it my quote unquote main company is designer consulting co-op where I've helped launch over a thousand fashion brands, like fashion accessory brands. So people like yourself who one day woke up and you're like, you know what? I like, I like, you know, my service business, but I want to start a dress line. I've consulted on that. 
But I also at some point had my own accessory line that was a wearable wrist wallet and sold to celebrities and all that. So I've been on both sides. In the the past couple of years, I've transitioned not only into fashion, but all products. And so as a service-based business owner, I know how it is to work with clients and one-to-one, like hour for hour, and then what it's like to have inventory. And so, so many of the podcasts that are out there for business, for example, they're based to, they're talking to service-based companies, right? How you do your marketing campaigns, like uh, what money you need to start your service-based business. So all you need to do is really sometimes get a website and a phone. Um, Product is different. So not to kill the dreams of all people who want to have product. (laughs) But the biggest struggle that people have when they're creating product is that you have to put your money into inventory. So there's a much higher startup cost if you're going to move into product. And so, um, you have your development costs, right? So as you're, let's say, I'm going to go to your lotion concept. So bottles, like how you're going to design the bottle, um, what lotions you're going to put in, the ingredients are going to cost you money, the labor to make it and put it in. Um, you're going to have to house it somewhere. And then when you ship, there's, are you charging your customer? Are you paying for the shipping? There's all of that sort of back and forth. So product businesses are awesome. But something that we at the product boss really try and push our clients into is to stay, stay specific. So if you wanted to come out with a lotion company, you don't need to come out with lotions and perfumes and chapsticks and all the things, right? Be known for something, do really well. And if it does well, you kind of go deep into it. And as soon as that's booming and stands on its own two legs, then perhaps you go into another category or you start to add products to your, to your line because it's expensive and you don't want to have all of your money into different ingredients to make different products. When I would say it's very similar with the interior design business is niche down. Yeah. Find that one thing that you excel at and go a mile deep versus a mile wide Mm -hmm. because we used to offer seven packages. And then I was reading this um, book called The Pumpkin Plan. Have you read that? Yeah. Yeah, by Michael Michalowicz. And he – basically is telling you how to grow an award-winning pumpkin, but he says you have to trim off all the little pumpkins. So only keep your services that, you know, sell 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. So I got rid of all the tiny plans and we only sold three for about two years. And since then I've added on two more pumpkins. Now we sell five. So I may be diluting my message, but they're all – I find five to be a really good number for what we are and how established we are. But I think finding that niche so that you can really clearly market yourself so that you can even understand who you are. And so that passion can stay small. I might be really passionate about lotion, but I'm not really passionate about chapstick. Or I might be really passionate about finding furniture, but I'm not really passionate about renovations. And so that's why we just stick to our lane And have gone deep in that because then we even know how to talk about ourselves. I know how to tell you who I am. I'm not that person. I'm this person. Yeah. You're speaking to your customers. So, I mean, um, the home organization is a big trend right now via Netflix and, um, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, everyone's talking about home organization and like purging and folding their clothes in a certain way. Well, that's like super, super niching down into this, like this very specific method. Um, we have a client, I'm just trying to think, okay, I had a client that wanted to do clothing for tall women. Okay. She came to me and she's like, I want, cause she was tall. She was five, 
510. It had to be for women 510 and above. Great. She found her customer 510 and above women. Perfect. But then she wanted to make them bathing suits, sweatshirts, evening wear, yoga wear, all the things. And so I said to her, I was like, well, what, what is the biggest thing? What's the thing that's missing most for um, tall women? And she's like, what, could you guess what tall women need the most? Pants. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So she's like pants. And I was like, great. And it's this huge trend into like leisure wear, loungewear, you know, Lululemon, yoga pants, that kind of thing. So she then came out instead with four pairs of active wear pants for tall women that were cool. And so she got to launch with four, it's four styles, right? But so specific. So now when she's pitching to her customers or talking about it, she's like, it's for women five, 10 and above. And it's for women who need pants that are like active wear. Awesome. She sells out of those. Then she can add a matching sports bra or she can get into the other things, but they might not need a sports bra. They may just keep coming back to her for pants. You know, think about Spanx. Spanx did shapewear forever until they expanded into other things. You know, and also then that reduces the number of SKUs you have to have. It reduces the financial risk because while I'm always product curious, I'm always (laughs) thinking about what other people are doing. I'm chicken. Like the idea of sinking that money into the inventory, taking that risk. I have a storefront here in Westchester. It's beautiful. It's big. It's on Main Street. When I first moved in, everybody was telling me, retail, 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 you know, you have foot traffic out there, sell some things. I was so chicken to spend money on inventory. I mean, I could have easily gotten a small business loan. I've been around for 14 years. I could have easily done this. I was too scared. I'm too scared now. Do you have product? No, no way. (laughs) No way. It's cash out, right? So you've got cash out. I'm also worried about it like fading on the shelves or just, you know, getting old, getting, oh, fear. And those are all the things that, so there are life, there are um, shelf lives for certain types of product you come out with, right? But let's say you decided to come out with your own pottery line or something like that, right? That's not necessarily going to fade and you move it away out of the sunlight. So if you're going to test stuff, I guess this would be my biggest tip to anybody, especially if you have your own clients. You either are hearing oftentimes from people something that they're looking for that they can't find, right? So if you fill a need in the market. So maybe it's that, I don't know, sometimes I hate the garbage cans that are out there, you know, for like bathrooms. I don't know. Let's say as your client, you heard Kitchen me always. Kitchen trash cans are the worst. Kitchen trash okay. cans. Ugh. Okay. So here you are, Betsy, who has a company for the last 14 years. You may find a company that you could collaborate with and pitch to them. I'd like to do a co-branded line with you. So maybe you don't have the um, overhead or expense of you having to develop and find the contractor or manufacturer to make you garbage cans, but instead you do some sort of collaboration with something that you feel there's a need in the market. Like Ojoy is a perfect example of that. She's done all of these collaborations and she doesn't have the she had a blog on like beautiful and bright interior design, like kids stuff. She does stuff like that. Um, she doesn't have, she's doing a planner. Do you think she paid to print that planner? No, she, she's collaborating and they're putting her name on it. So I think that she must have like a massive following. I think in order to get that co-branding deal, you would have to be highly visible or you have a very good idea for them. I literally don't, I, we have, we're a year and change into, Okay, let's. I'll tell you since you're a podcaster, our tenth episode we were sponsored by Create Joy, which is a subscription um, 
subscription platform for product businesses because when they approached us, we didn't have the followers to be reason to um, do it, but we had high engagement and we then pitched them back a really awesome thing. We did a subscription box series called the subscription boss sponsored by CreateJoy, for example. So even if you don't have the followers, if you have a really good idea, and you have something to back it up and like a collaboration, I think you could be creative or it could be for smaller type companies, right? There's so many small companies out there. You can find them on Etsy even and contact somebody on Etsy and say, Hey, would you want to do something co-branded? I'll put it in my store. I'll pitch to my clients. I have a podcast. So I think co-branding is one idea. And then you can also test like the, like, what is it? The viability of it, um, prior to, so for example, if let's say you started posting barn doors as every other picture (laughs) on your Instagram and you got high engagement on barn doors, you might see that people are really digging barn doors. And then you may start to sort of position to them like, well, what if we did custom barn doors for you? And then, um, And then all of a sudden, if people are really responding to it on your social media or whatever, then you might then start doing custom barn doors for people because you're seeing that there's a need in the market and you kind of ease into it and it's, and you could pre-sell sometimes too. So you post some stuff, you pre-sell it, you know, that people want it and then you go ahead and you make product against what they want. Right. Right. Like kind of Kickstarter, but without that official platform. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com, click on podcast to learn more, and to become a premium member today. What do you think about Kickstarter for somebody who might be interested in a product line, but Funny not math. wanting to take the risk? <laughs> I don't know when this episode's airing, but this week on our episode this week is actually about Kickstarter. Oh, interesting. Because yes, yeah. our episode is going to air next Tuesday. What's today? So on 4-2. Okay. Or 4-7. So the- oh, it's all a blur. So Early March 28th April. episode for us, okay. our March 28th episode is on Kickstarter. So Kickstarter, and it kind of demystifies it. Kickstarter is mainly a male-focused platform. Mainly Mm. males are on there, and it's technology. Mm. Well, what about those others? Like, I wanted to buy my kids a wristwatch that told them, like, what time to brush their teeth. So that's technology. Okay, okay, yes, I guess so. I think of it more as jewelry and accessories, but to each their own. (laughs) So it's not to say that you can't sell on it. It just means that you need to know that that's sort of what you're up against. And then Kickstarter, you typically, unless let's say you have a really big following that you can just pick, move them into it. It's, um, it, you still actually almost have to pay 
an external company to help promote your Kickstarter to get you funded. So Kelsey, who's on the podcast, she actually raised almost $70,000 for a home bath mat. Actually, you should see this because it's perfect for your clients, but, um, she, it's a bath mat. It's the world's driest bath mat. Um, and she ended up having to pay a huge percentage of the 70,000 that she raised to this company because they did all the marketing to drive traffic there. She still was fully able to fund her first production and ship all the goods in. And she's taken some amazing meetings like with bed, bath and beyond things like that. But she had to, she had to support the Kickstarter campaign to be fully funded. So it's possible. It just takes more money than you think to actually get a Kickstarter going and funded. That's interesting because I didn't think about that promotional component in terms of, of course, there's a business, you know, for people to promote your Kickstarter and get paid for it. Speaking of, one thing that gets my goat, does it bug anybody else? Because I'm a Shark Tank watcher and um, we did get to the final level of Shark Tank at one point um, as a business. They were going to have us on the show and then at the very last minute, they didn't. But they generally go for product-based businesses. It's very rare that they'll feature a service-based business, which is why we were so excited to even get close. But what do you think of that kind of platform for somebody who has a product? What do you think about trying out for something like that. It's like you live in my head, actually. <laughs> so, or maybe I live in Maplewood and I'm just listening to the walls. You know, but the, like know when we first about. wanted to move to the suburbs, I found my dream home in Maplewood. It was my dream home. I had to have it. My husband wrote this very emotional letter saying, this is our home. We felt it from the minute we walked in. We lost it in a bidding war. The letter meant nothing. They didn't care about us at all. And um, so I was like, I can't live in New Jersey now. I can never pass that house without crying violently. So that's why we live in Westchester now. Just, so, well, just a I tangent. Often tell, I often tell my husband, I don't know if our kids can grow up, no offense, New Jersey, but because I'm from California, but I'm like, I don't know if my kids can grow up saying that they're from New Jersey. I was like, we might need to move to Westchester. So maybe I'll be your neighbor. Maybe you took the house. We I moved four years ago. <laughs> I only moved a year ago. Oh, and okay. And the emotional letters don't always work because money talks more. But um. Well, it was like $10,000 difference. I'm like, are you kidding me? $10,000 over pictures of our kids like frolicking? <sighs> um, I cyberstalked a family and knew that they were really into football. And my husband's a Broadway actor, so we are not so into football. And... <laughs> I was like, and we could watch the Rose Parade in the kitchen at the kitchen nook. It was like the cutest. Well, we lost it by like, it's like crazy, like $80,000. But the house we're in was um, the daughters of the people who lived here were selling it. And we were like, our kids are going to play on the piano and our, we're going to have an art studio in the basement because also, and we won because of our letter. So. Oh, wow. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Dreams do come true. But yeah. if you ever want to know about Westchester, feel free to ask because um, the taxes are out of control. But at least we don't live in Jersey. No, Jersey is fantastic. I love Jersey. But Penn Station is horrible. Everything except Krispy Kremes. It's horrible. That's the only redeeming quality whenever I have to go to Jersey for a client is I do get Krispy Kremes. Okay. And that's not because I'm like, I just want my fancy coffee shop where I'm getting my single origin coffee that I can't get where I live. You can't get that in Westchester either, by the way. Okay. Okay. Right. Anyway, so let's back go back to, to Shark Tank. Reality TV. So yeah. Mina, who's my co-host on the Product Boss podcast and myself, we've both actually gone to the same stage on, on Shark Tank, which is the video round. Um, and because I had Cuffs Couture, which was a wrist wallet and Mina, I think she did it for her company because little labels, it's those baby bottle labels you put on your kids. Um, bottles to go to preschool. So, um, 
And then I have been a part of two other shows. I got Project Runway back in the day, pretty far. And then also I was on Project Runway. No, because because I did not have a character. Right. I realized this after I didn't get on to Project Runway, I needed to be. You know, the, they they pick characters. Yeah. The and so what did I one, do? The one, the crazy one. So I got on another reality show because I had my hair chopped like 1920s and always wore headbands. So I was going to be the headband girl. Right? That's good. Good job. And so what <laughs> show was that? It never aired. It was with oh. the guy who won Project Runway that had the tattoos on his neck. Um, I forget his name. This is like so long ago. But it never aired and it was like Anthony, a competitive. No. I've watched them all. I've okay. Them all. Okay. So but anyway, yes. Okay. So. This is and I and I re-recorded the pilot episode. It just didn't get picked up. This is what sucks about it. It's still TV and it's still drama. So Shark Tank is cool. And when you apply to Shark Tank, I'm sure you saw this too. They say like, uh, don't say you want to be on for marketing because you're going to be in front of millions of people. So why do you really want the sharks to invest in you? But you do have to weigh out like what what kind of product do you have and do, do you really need them to get whatever equity? It just depends on the kind of business that you're you're doing. Any of these other ones like the the fashion reality shows that I I was on, they put they put us against each other. I felt like I was in a crazy world. I was like, oh, they're just trying to get drama, not that and I and I am a serious business owner and I didn't want my face out there being some crazy person on TV. So, do I recommend Shark Tank? Um, if you can do it, sure. Visibility and if you need that kind of capital and equity, cool. But I think that there's so much opportunity out there for people these days between all of social media and that you can really create your own platforms that you can, if your goal is to get to a hundred thousand dollar business, that's not that hard. It's only $8,000 in sales a month. You know, it takes a little bit and you need the funding, but if you do it smart, you can, the, eventually the company can quickly compensate for itself. But if you want to get on TV and you can pitch yourself and you've got that personality, sure. Because I also think that good product companies, like people who are truly creative, even if you sold that idea, you could come up with another one. Right. You could you could do it again. Right. Right. Well, and so what do you think, since you've done both service-based businesses like interior design uh, and you've done product-based businesses with your accessories what do you think is the perfect type of business? Like we should stop drooling and just go ahead and launch this type of business. If we were. It depends on how much money you have. <laughs> That's always the question. But I think that if you see a need in the market that you can fill and you already have the customers built in. So we are actually sort of transitioning a bit at our, at the product blast where we're, we're, it's funny, a lot of service companies are trying to come to us saying, I dreamt of a product. And so how can your product service your clients? It could be that the product that you create is a workbook. Like I know you already, I think you already have an interior design book, right? So you're already a product-based owner by the way, like you're already in it. Um, but maybe it's that you come up with a planner or something. So I think a good thing to do sometimes is thinking about what the needs of your clients, if you're service-based, what do your clients need and can you serve them? Is there something that you can make that's better for them right now that's not on the market because you know that niche, right? Like, you know who your customer is, you know exactly what they need versus if you wanted to come out with your own, um, scented lotions that you wanted to sell in your store that I would white label or I would private label. So I would like find another brand. I have in the product boss community, we have tons of people making their own products. So they may want to sell you a batch of 50 bottles of jasmine scented lotion and they would be willing to put your name on it. Do you know what I'm saying? They're still so white labeling means using another manufacturer, another company and just telling them what you need and then putting your brand on top of it. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's pri- like private label more or less. So you might work a deal with them that they'll put affordable interior design, you know, hand lotion labels on if you hit a certain minimum. And then you don't have to worry about any manufacturing. You're almost buying just a finished product from them, but with your name on it. Right. And by the way, listeners, I am not starting a lotion line. I have no passion for lotion. Lotion was just the thing that popped into my mind that Good example. people will sell. But affordable interior design lotion is not hitting shelves anytime soon. Um, even though I have thought about candles or, you know, what I was really thinking about, and this is so bad. It's not even good. Like I don't have an, a sense for product-based businesses. It's just like a totally different language, I feel. But you know those little boxes? Who is it? Danielle Laporte has like an inspiration box where every day there's a card mm-hmm. and you flip it over. So somebody gave that to me and I really love it. Like I'm always like flipping over a card just when I'm bored at lunch or something. And so I thought about doing that for interior design with like every card having a tip or something like that. So I went down that rabbit hole because I was like, what a fun gift. And so many people are into design and I have a million sayings. I have a million tips. I could just kind of dissect my book and chop it up in these fun little cards. I priced that out. Like you have a minimum order of 5,000 boxes of cards from China. I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of with my book, it's almost like I private labeled a book because I'm buying from the publisher. I didn't have any risk initially Mm -hmm. besides writing it and taking the time, which is big enough risk already. Because, uh, again, that time and energy is something you can never get back on, like, money. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll never get my life back from when I was writing yeah, that book. That's such a good point, though, that that you cannot get your time back. But you can you can if you know how to earn money, like, do that. I, lo- I love that as a point. Um, but, yeah, minimums. Minimums yeah. are crazy high. And so there's ways to – so, again, like, let's just say, though, that you put out some images of these cards and you pre-sold them and you knew you could sell 3,000 of them then maybe you would invest in the 5,000. So I think that's when like, but you'd still have to go through the effort of time and design and marketing it, you know? And pre-selling and then like, how do you refund all that? I mean, that seems, that seems intense. So it might not be the right product, but there are, I mean, <laughs> there, I mean, so another client of ours, she does scholarships. It's the scholarship shark and she made a board game to teach kids how to do it. Well, it's hard to sell that board game and she really is a service company. And so now she's using it as an onboarding gift to people who are hiring her. Right. So she's mm-hmm. <laughs> she had like 500 games sitting in her garage. She talks about it all the time. That's and my so biggest th- fear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now use it. Now she's going to use it as like this extra thing that will remind them of her. So there's ways around it. And that's when you get creative and, you know, work with people like us, the product people that are, you know, here, do this with it now. So you guys should like, well, I mean, when you get big enough and should, don't you love it? Don't you love unsolicited advice? I actually do. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Because you guys should like have one of those Shark Tank-esque things where you say, we'll give you the platform, we'll teach you the marketing, we'll give you this infrastructure, you give us 10%. Hmm. We'll mentor you, we'll feature you on our podcast so people can watch your journey and kind of leveraging your audience, but also promoting them at the same time. Excellent idea. I'm glad I asked for that advice. (laughs) Good. Um, yeah. And I think, and you know, and I, in the fashion side of my business, people are always like, well, do you take a percentage? And I was like, no, because you don't always want to be in bed with everyone, right? Like they're not always good business owners. Um, and I think that's, you know, why Shark Tank also, they do a lot of preliminary questions to you anyways, but, um, you don't always want to be in business with everybody, you know? Uh, but yeah, I like that. Well, we're really, we're very much about like, there's room at the top for all of us. So we're very much about lifting up our product people. I don't care what they are. Like if your barbie, we just had a barbecue sauce client on and we're talking about her barbecue sauce because it's 
awesome and we want her to do well. We kind of want everyone to do well. There's not as much competition. We just have to support each other, like bringing business for like family. a spinoff podcast, like startup or whatever, where they follow this serialized business while you mentor them. I mean, I'm I want to listen to that. All right, I'll just say, yeah, we have a, we're recording a podcast right after this, so I will tell her all about just it. Just saying, I love following those things. Uh, so anyway, before we sign off, so you can get to your other podcast, please tell us where we can find you. Awesome. So I am at, we're at, at the product boss. So the product boss podcast, so wherever you're listening to this, you can just kind of search it and subscribe. Um, there are some really cool guests on. So even if you don't have a product business, like we have the founder of OPI nail lacquers that's going to be on. So there's some really cool stuff that we've got already on there. And then, um, we're on Instagram at the product boss. And then if you are a fashion company and you want to connect with me over there, it's designer consulting Wonderful. Well, it was so great talking to you. After our discussion today, I don't think I'm going to stop being a service-based business, <laughs> but I am going to consider co-branding a product. So there we go. Mm-hmm. There's something I'm always looking for for every single gosh darn client, and it's not out there. And I've literally been looking for it for 10 years. So besides trash cans, I think I have another idea germinating. Well, let's talk about that off air. <laughs> or it can be your serialized show. Yes, that I'm going to have to launch with you, Betsy. (laughs) I might have to. I might have to give it a little more thought. Okay. Well, so good talking to you, Jacqueline. Until next time, we'll see and hear everyone later. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, You're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.